In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One who comes in order that we might be forgiven, and that we might be loved, so that we may go out into this world and forgive and love those around us. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, in 2013, there was a TV show that appeared on Netflix. The name of the TV show was White Bear, and White Bear was a part of the Black Mirror series. And if you've never watched Black Mirror, um, uh, Black Mirror, is, it's kind of a dark, kind of um, nouveau twilight zone. It's always got a little bit of a twist at the end that makes you kind of go, oh, okay, I wasn't expecting that. And so the, the story in, in White Bear, kind of, uh, it starts off with a woman waking up and not remembering really anything about her life. She's got this amnesic episode, and she wakes up, and she doesn't know anything about her life, and she's looking, and she sees um, uh, TVs all over the place, and they have this, this one particular symbol, and that's kind of confusing, and she gets up, and she starts walking around, and all of a sudden, she finds out that she's sort of in this walking dead scenario with these zombie-like people that are chasing after her. And so she decides, okay, I've, I've got to run. And the whole time she's kind of processing through the stuff that she saw in the room that she woke up in. She's processing through the stuff that she saw on the TV. She's also processing through this uh, picture that she sees of herself and a man and a little kid, which she doesn't remember anything about her life, but she goes, okay, that must be my husband and my child. And so she's kind of processing through this as she's running away. She meets some other people and they're, they're trying to figure out, okay, what's going on? here. And one of the people who she meets up with says, you need to go to this station, this facility called White Bear, and you need to stop it from communicating out locations. And, and then finally, you will be free of all of this. And she goes, okay, that's what I'll do. And she, she starts scrambling, and she starts going, and, and she finally gets to this White Bear location. And while she's in the White Bear location, she gets into a struggle with someone, and all of a sudden, at the end of that struggle, I'm trying to be very careful for you to not do too many spoilers. At the end of that struggle, she finds out that this has all been a ruse. That at the end of that struggle, the walls literally come apart. And she finds out that this whole thing has been a act. This whole thing has been something that she has been forced to go through as a form of psychological torture. And the reason that she has been a recipient of this psychological torture is that she has done something very bad in her life. And at the end of it, you find out that what she is doomed to do is to go to a room and to have her memory erased all over again so that she won't remember anything of the day and that she will wake up the next day and have to go through the same sense of being terrified, the same sense of questioning, the same sense of confusion all over again and go through this psychological torture one more time 
And then the next day, another time. And then the next day, another time. And it seems like this unending hell for her. Well, Black Mirror has this sort of tendency to poke us in places that we don't want to be poked. Because what you come away with after watching White Bears, you come away with this question in your soul about, well, was that really fair for that person? Was that really fair for whatever it is that she did? Was it fair that she has to go through this psychological torture day in and day out and have her memory erased so that she has to relive it all over again? Is that fair for her? And it pokes us because we live in a world in which we like to decide what is fair for people. And we live in a world where when we decide what is fair for people, oftentimes we are not just, we are rather cruel. And all of us know that. All of us know that sinful side of our beings that can get just horribly judgmental and cruel. That sinful side of our beings that can say, that person deserves this punishment. We can get to that point in our lives where we have set ourselves up not only as judge and jury, but as executioner as well. We can get to that point where we finally say, okay, I have to stop I have to stop and, and take a look around and see what's going on here. One of those moments in our national history just a few years ago came out of Hayden's home state of Arkansas where they needed witnesses to executions. And they decided that they, they were having a problem getting witnesses to executions in Arkansas to actually come into the prison. So what they were going to do is they were going to live stream it. And they were going to live stream these executions and they thought, okay, we'll, we'll just open it up and we'll, we'll maybe get the right amount of people because we need the, this amount of people legally. I think it was like six people. What they ended up getting was a waiting list of people who wanted to sit at their computers and watch somebody die for their sins. And we can get justified in our self-righteousness to a point where that is what we want for other people. And Jesus knows that very well. Jesus knows that well, and that is why he, in the midst of this sermon on the plain that he is giving to his disciples, one of the things that he mentions in there is love your enemies. And that's disconcerting to us on probably two levels. The first level is the recognition that we will have enemies. Jesus wouldn't say to love our enemies if we, he didn't expect us to have enemies. But then on top of that, he says, you should love them. And we want to go around in a world that says, neither of those things are true for me. What is true for me is that, A, I don't have any enemies. Nobody doesn't like me. Thank you very much. But then B, those people whom maybe are not my enemies, but that I don't like or that I can judge, well, those people I am certainly not going to love them. Why on earth would I do that? 
Why on earth would I love those stinking Democrats? Why would I love those Trumpers? Why would I love those Republicans? Why would I love those fill-in-the-blank? Why would I love those people? And is Jesus telling you to love them? Enough of a reason for you even to try. Because that's the big question here. Is, well, okay, Jesus, you've told me to love my enemies. You've told me to do all of this stuff in that gospel reading that is all very difficult to do. Why, Jesus, why are you telling me to do all of this really hard stuff? Why are you telling me to turn the other cheek, to allow myself to be hurt once more after somebody hurts me? Why are you telling me to enable someone to continue to beg from me and give them more and more of what I've got? And we get this question with Jesus and we go, Jesus, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem logical. This doesn't seem like this is what you're really supposed to be telling me. And so then we all of a sudden we get very metaphorical and we start going, okay, well, Jesus, what's really the subtext here? What did you try? What are you, what's the kernel that you're trying to get out of me? And the kernel that Jesus is trying to get out of you is that we are sinners. And it's really that simple. And it has to do with your sin, and it has to do with your neighbor's sin. Because that's where this is a problem. Why don't you love your enemy? Because you believe that your enemy cannot love you. Why don't you give to that person who is asking you for money? Because in your heart of hearts, you believe that that person is stealing from you. And that you're not actually helping them out, but that rather they are simply taking from you. Why are you not allowing yourself to be hurt again by someone else? Because you believe that that is malicious on their part. All of the whys always come to this one place that we all live in and we all know so well, and that is simply that we live in a world that is filled with our sin and is filled with the sins of all of the people in the world. And because of that, that place is broken. That place is a place that looks like what could have happened in the Old Testament reading with Joseph. What could have happened in the Old Testament reading with Joseph is that Joseph could have said, hey, you know what? You guys threw me in a pit and sold me into slavery. I'll do you one better. But instead, he says, I forgive you. And he does something that doesn't seem like it's of this world. He does something that doesn't seem like it's normal. If you were Joseph, how hard would it be for you to forgive your brothers who sold you into slavery? How hard would it be for you to allow them to come crying on your neck and not want to just push them away? 
How often in our lives are there things that we are holding on to right now? People that we are unwilling to forgive. People that we are not taking judgment away from. But that we're holding that judgment against them. Maybe they don't even know it sometimes. But it's there. And it draws us to that reading from Corinthians, that reading that's all about this weird thing called the resurrection and how the resurrection is going to mean something totally different in our lives. And Paul, honestly, he seems to kind of be going on a little bit of a babble trip here. And he's, you know, he's bringing in cliches from all over the Near East at the time. But he ends up at this place where he talks about who we are going to be in the resurrection and how that's going to be the same but different. And that's something for us to hold on to as Christians. That's something, that vision of what it is like for us to be a seed that is planted in the ground as perishable people and then to be raised again in the resurrection as imperishable people is something for us to hold on to. Not only in terms of our hope that one day that will happen, but in terms of our belief that that is what our destiny is. And so you may look like a seed right now. And seeds don't look like plants. And your seediness may look like somebody who judges, may look like someone who hates their enemies instead of loves them, may look like somebody who says, I am not going to let anybody get it over on me. But know that deep inside you there is a plant And that plant has been put there by Jesus. And that plant is straining against your body, against your will. It's straining against you like a daffodil between the cracks of a sidewalk. It's straining to get out. And when it gets out, that thing is going to be a thing that loves its enemies. That thing is going to be a thing that shoots up. And I'm not expecting you to be a daffodil right now. So don't leave here and go, well, all of that sermon was about I just need to be a perfect person because if that's what this sermon is, well, you're done. But rather, you are to walk out of here knowing that God has put something inside of you that is so strange that is so different from the world that you know around you, that is straining inside of you for a day that is coming, a day when all of our daffodils will pop out, just like all of the azaleas are popping out around town, and it will be beautiful. That is what we look forward to. And that is what we pray to God for. We pray to God, not that he would change us from being a seed to a rock, but rather that we would bloom ahead of schedule. We pray to God, 
Lord, I know you've put this in me. Lord, I know that, that it's in there. I know that one day in the resurrection, this will be something that pops out and everybody will be able to see it and I'll be able to see it from everyone else. But today, Lord, I'm just asking that a little bit comes through the crack. A little love comes out from my enemy. A little sharing comes out for the people that need me. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Just a little bit of a pop And the only reason that it will is because of another thing that you find in that reading from Corinthians. It says that Christ is the first fruits. He's the first pop. He's the first daffodil that came out. He's the first sign of spring. But he's also the first sacrifice. Because the first fruits was not only the first thing that popped out of the ground, it was also the first thing that found itself on the altar. And that is who Jesus is for us. He is the one who enabled us to become seeds that will pop out later because, and only because, he was the first one who popped out and landed on the cross. And because he was raised imperishable from a perishable body, we know that we shall be as well. So brothers and sisters in Christ, this reading is challenging. But let it challenge you this week. Don't let it leave you in despair. But let it challenge you. And as it challenges you, remember that this all is meant to point you to Christ. That this is not meant to point you at yourself and how badly you love your neighbor and how badly you share with other people, but rather with how much Jesus loved his enemies, how much he shared with us. So may you have a week that is filled with that challenge and that gospel. Amen.